This episode of Biscuits and Jam is presented by Boar's Head. Welcome to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, Editor-in-Chief of Southern Living Magazine. My guest this week loves Disney World almost as much as he loves country music, and he finds that's a hard thing to quit. We've kind of started a new tradition of kind of going to Florida every year, going to Disney for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Once you uh, introduce Santa Claus and Mickey together, can't really top that, so you got to do that every year. But I, I love it. It's a way for families to come together. Jimmy Allen was born and raised in Delaware, but his family introduced him to both country music and church music at an early age. He moved to Nashville in 2007, but struggled before his big break, at one point living in his car. Now in 2020, he's got a critically acclaimed EP called Betty James, named for his father and grandmother, which finds Jimmy singing duets with Tim McGraw, Brad Paisley, Darius Rucker, and Mickey Guyton. One cut in particular, This Is Us, featuring Noah Cyrus, has become one of Jimmy's most popular tracks on Spotify. It's about a love that never quite happened earlier in life, supported by a melody you can't forget. On today's show, Jimmy shares how those early adversities in Music City just fueled his drive. You know, when you kind of go through things, you appreciate it more when you get it. Because I'm not afraid of of failure, and I feel like failing isn't when someone tells you no. You know, for me, failure is when you quit. All that and more on this week's episode of Biscuits and Jam. Well, Jimmy Allen, welcome to Biscuits and Jam. Oh, thanks for having me, man. So, Jimmy, you're from a little town called Milton, Delaware, Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful spot, kind of right near the ocean. What was it like growing up there? Man, growing up in Delaware was cool. We kind of got the best of both worlds. You know, my my town was super small. We did the country thing, but at the same time, it was close to the beach. So we got to, like, fish all the time skimboard. You know, we surf during like hurricanes and stuff like that when it's bad weather. It's the only time we really get waves like eight or nine, eight or nine feet. Uh, but now it's pretty chill. Would you say Milton feels Southern at all? I would say it looks Southern, but it doesn't really feel Southern. I would say it looks Southern because, you know, we had, you know, the soybean fields, the corn fields, and a lot of chicken plants and stuff up there. And you know, we did all the cow tipping, all the same stuff. But just the overall feel, it feels like you're in the north. We're small town country people, but we're very blunt, very direct. It's a lot different in the south. You know, in the south, instead of people saying they don't like something or like you, they'll kind of go around and say, you know, that's all right. Bless your heart. Up north is more if you don't like something. Nah, I don't like it. What else you got? Kind of we're very straight to the point. You know, it's very it's a New York attitude, but in a, in a small town. So, Jimmy, who was the cook in your family? My dad. My dad was a cook. Uh, my mom was definitely not a cook, as they say in the South, bless her heart. Because uh, <laughs> she could cook, but her thing was she liked always cooking things separate than mixing everything together. She called it Angie's all together now. 
That's what she called it. And sometimes it was it was hit or miss. You know, it was hit or miss. You know, sometimes it'd be boom on point. Sometimes we're like, ah, what the hell? <laughs> and so what did your dad like to make? What were some of his specialties? Man, steak, spaghetti from scratch. I mean, like lasagna, he'd make lasagna from scratch. My mom could make lasagna and shepherd's pie, that kind of thing. Gosh, you name it. He cooked everything. You know, the fish we caught, we cleaned it, cooked it. The deer, he cleaned it, skinned it, cooked that. There was even a couple of times we went down the street and picked cows out, and he butchered the cows himself and prepared the meat himself. So, yeah, he was pretty hands-on. You name wow. it, he can cook it. So what about the holidays? Was that a big affair at your house? Yeah, like, so my family, like, we're pretty close with, like, our cousins, and, like, my mom has siblings, and my grandma was alive at the time. So Thanksgiving and Christmas, you know, we'd get together, it'd be, like, 30 of us hanging out. We would make holidays kind of out of everything. You know, we'd have about two to three family unions a year. Because, like, my grandma was, um, she was Sasika, Native American. Yeah. So, you know, real big on, you know, family and tradition and kind of getting together and stuff like that. Now, will you guys head up uh, for the holidays this year? Oh, no. This year, I'll be in New York for a day for Thanksgiving. Then we'll hop on a plane and go into uh, Orlando. We've kind of started, since my grandma died, we've kind of started a new tradition of kind of going to Florida every year, going to Disney for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And the good thing is my uh, in-laws have a house there. They got a couple houses, but you know they got one in Florida, not too far from Disney. So we'll go down there and have Thanksgiving and Christmas dinner there. Yeah, I've heard you're a big Disney fan. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Disney and Universal are life. So, you know, you got to go to Universal, get the Harry Potter in, you know. But, yeah, man, it's uh, it's fun. You know, it's a tradition that, you know, my, my son, he's six. My daughter, she's seven months. Because I think I messed up my son. You know, once you um, introduce Santa Claus and Mickey together, can't really top that. So you got to do that every year. But I love it. It's a way for families to come together. Because, you know, after a while, when your family's coming in town to visit, after about two days, you're like, ain't nothing to do. Y'all got to go. <laughs> but <laughs> down there, so much stuff to do. You know, you can hang out as a family at the house, watch movies. But yeah, you also got options to go to Disney, go to Universal. You got SeaWorld, you got Busch Gardens. You know, just so much stuff to do down there. You got a favorite ride? I'm a classic Disney fan, so my favorite Disney ride is Carousel of Progress. Oh, wow. Okay. Carousel of Progress, Tomorrowland Speedway. But of the new rides, that Avatar ride at Animal Kingdom is good. Uh, the new uh, Star Wars ride at Hollywood Studios is good. Yeah, you sound like an expert. Oh, man, I'll mess around. <laughs> <laughs> I'll mess around. So, Jimmy, you uh, had a song called Slower Lower. I love the name of that. That says we were raised on hallelujahs and amens. Was the church a big influence on you in terms of music? Oh, yeah. I grew up going to church all the time, you know, singing with my mom and my sister. And it's kind of where I first started, like, singing. And I was I was a drummer first, then started playing piano at church. And it's kind of where I really just fell in love with not only singing, but performing, even though, you know, I would get told tons of times that being in front of people at the church is worship, not a show. I would still try to entertain a little bit, you know. Gotta, gotta keep the people happy. <laughs> gotta give God a reason to, to hang out, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it played a big part. 
and just, you know, music and kind of fall in love with music. Was there a song from the church that you love to sing? Yeah, there were a couple. I think one, it's a song called Our Father by Fred Hammond that I love. Uh, Jesus Freak by DC Talk was my jam. Then I, you know, I got into like Gaither Vocal Band. My grandmom loved them. And my mom loved this guy named Mike Perky. Not a lot of people remember Mike Perky. He was like this guy who's been on TBN, Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, some cool stuff. I was a big Fred Hammond, Kirk Franklin, Hezekiah Walker fan, CC and BB Winans. And I love quartet music too, like the Dixie Hummingbirds, Fairfield Four. And so you mentioned your grandmother. Was she a big influence on you in terms of music as well? Yeah, you know, she wasn't much of a singer. Her influence came in with just her love for music. And she knew that I loved it and I enjoyed singing. So she would kind of always push me to keep doing it, whether it was in in church or wherever I really wanted to do it. And was this on your mom's side? Yes, my mother's mom. I heard you say that her favorite band was the Oak Ridge Boys. Oh, yeah, that was her favorite group of all time. She loved the Oak Ridge Boys, man. Uh, she, she, she loved them. I wish she would have got a chance to meet them. But, yeah, she, she loved them to death. And tell me about your dad in terms of country music. He was a big fan, I'm told. Ah, he loved it. That's all he listened to. And if you turn anything else on the radio, he'd slap in the back of your head. Say, what the hell are you doing to my radio? Like, nothing, nothing, just messing around, just messing around. But yeah, his favorite artist was Aaron Tippin. His favorite country song was Lucky Man by Montgomery Gentry. He kind of introduced me to it, so I found out about the Grand Ole Opry. So he loved it, you know, he, he loved the stories in it. Reminded him of, you know, where we were from, where we lived. Because uh, my dad grew up in Delaware. Uh, my mom's from California. It's very nostalgic, even still now when I listen to it. I try to put a lot of kind of how I grew up in my music. As far as like lyrics goes, like for production overall sound, I'm a huge rock fan, huge pop fan, huge fan of hip hop. So my lyric a lot of time is more the country storytelling, but the production and my delivery is a little bit more pop than traditional country music. So, Jimmy, you've got a great song called Warrior that's a tribute to your mother and I think your grandmother, too. Is that right? Yes, I wrote it. um, It's about my mom and my grandma, you know. Just about how you know strong they are were. Well, I love the lyrics. I mean, there's a lyric that says she's tougher than she looks. Heart has a strong right hook. What were you thinking when you wrote that song? I just think about just kind of everything they've gone through in the midst of life, throwing things at them, whether it was extra bills, whether it was a car accident or a medical injury. They always, always found a way to bounce back, you know, because... My mom's dad, he left uh, my grandmom and four kids when um, my mom and I were young, and he didn't live too far away. He was financially stable, but he did nothing. He just sat there and watched them struggle, watched them not have food to eat, watched them have their bills turned off, and he didn't do nothing. And through all of that, my grandmom, to the day she died, never talked bad about him. But she found a way to keep a roof over their head, but it's just watching them go through all that, watching my mom. And, you know, she was a nurse and she got injured at work. She fell down some steps carrying a patient. and She had some slip disc in her back and stuff like that. But still through all that, you know, she managed to find ways to keep money coming in, keep a roof over her head and food on the table. And I kind of pull a lot of my strength from them. So I wanted to write a song that kind of highlighted that, them and their strength. Jimmy, would you mind saying a little bit of that song? 
She's tougher than she looks. Her heart has a strong right hook for all the hard times we went through. There's nothing she wouldn't do for me and my baby sisters. The woman in that picture ain't just a woman in that picture. That's my mama. And I call her a warrior, a fighter, a kid. Wow, what a great tribute to them! Oh, yeah, man, I, I I love that song. I don't I don't play it as much as I should or as much as I'd like to, but every time I do play it, it's special. You know, family is such a strong theme in your songwriting and everything that you do. And I'm just wondering, what is it about family stories that lend themselves to great songs? So I feel like everybody has a family, whether your relationship with them is great or not, even in the midst of. Not having the best relationship with family, man, there's always some sort of good memory that's conjured up, you know, when you hear a song that kind of takes you back. And no matter what you look like or where you're from, you know, when you say, man, you got a, someone in your family you love, someone thinks of a family member, whether it's their parents, their siblings, their grandparents, their uncles, whatever, they think of a family member, you know, and they think of whether it's watching sports they remember that family member that they would watch sports with so it's the one thing that intertwines us all stay tuned for more with jimmy allen after the break this episode of biscuits and jam from southern living is presented by boar's head introducing sweet bees honey barbecue glazed chicken a new classic flavor available only from Boar's Head that brings the celebrated traditions, signature flavors, and iconic taste of sweet honey barbecue to your local deli. Inspired by famous barbecue joints and the aficionados who know the reward is worth the wait, comes an authentic experience that can only be from Boar's Head. Made with premium ingredients, this slow-roasted chicken is delightfully sweet with notes of honey and perfectly balanced with savory hints of hickory smoke. Honey drizzled and barbecue sizzled. Ask for freshly sliced Sweet Bee's Honey Barbecue Chicken during your next visit to the deli counter. Boar's Head. Compromise elsewhere. Welcome back to Biscuits and Jam from Southern Living. I'm Sid Evans, and we're talking with Jimmy Allen. So, Jimmy, I've talked to a lot of artists on this show about their move to Nashville and what that experience was like. But I don't think anyone went through quite what you did in terms of accommodations when they got to Nashville. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, accommodations were great. You know, I got to move into a trailer with no electric for a while. It was amazing. It was just like a zero star hotel. Got to live in my car for a couple months. Uh, Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It was it was rough. You know, but I I feel like, you know, when you kind of go through things, you appreciate it more when you get it. And at the same time, you're not afraid to take risks. I'm not afraid to be broke, been broke. You know, I'm not afraid to go a couple days without eating. I've done that, too. I feel like the struggles prepare me for now. I could really create the music I want to create, you know, write the books I want to write, write the the screenplays and uh, scripts for TV shows that I want to do because I'm not afraid of, of failure. And I feel like Failing isn't when someone tells you no. For me, failure is when you quit. 
when you give up. Because even in the midst of struggling to get a record deal and trying to get my songs put on the radio, when I was working at Walmart or when I was a server or when I was collecting trash or a janitor, there was still something special and exciting that woke me up every morning, knowing that singing is what I love to do. And even though for a while singing wasn't paying the bills and I was playing at bars, I still was living my dream because the dream is singing. The dream isn't being rich from singing and performing. The dream is to sing. And I got to do that no matter the size of the, the stage or the size of the people uh, at the show, you know. And then waking up every day knowing, cool, today could be the day where I get a record deal. Or after I got one, today could be the day where my song goes number one or etc. That was always exciting to me. And it still is. You know, I, I think living in a car, I think it kind of got me to the point where I'm kind of addicted to the struggle now because I'm the type of person once I accomplish something, I'm appreciative. I'm thankful. All right, what's next? Then I'm ready to get back working hard on something else. Because I, I like working for things. I don't know what it is, but I, I love it. Did you ever reach a point where you were about to pack up and move back to Delaware? Honestly, I thought about it, but no. Nah. There were a bunch of points where other people told me I should pack up. But no, nah, I, I always saw myself where I am now, as crazy as that might sound. I always saw myself... You know, with a number one. I always saw myself playing the Grand Ole Opry. I saw myself presenting at award shows, per- performing at award shows and being nominated. Never saw myself winning, but I saw myself nominated and performing. So I see myself in, in arenas one day. You know, I-, I see myself on television, whether it's hosting or in a movie or in a sitcom. Uh, I saw myself writing books and uh, saw my- I see myself on Broadway one day. Because I definitely think about taking six months off and doing a Broadway show one day because I love musical theater. I've seen all these things and I feel like the more you see it and the more you dream it and the more you put the work in to get there, you know, eventually you'll meet a person or two that can help you achieve all those goals. So, Jimmy, this has been a crazy year an emotional year, a difficult year. It's been a year of protests and hard conversations. As someone in a very public role, what has this movement been like for you personally? It's been cool to see. You know, we're all human. We all bleed. We all have our heart broken. We all get happy. We're all going to die one day. That's a fact. And it's cool to see some of the world you know, in the country, you start to kind of wake up to the fact of, yeah, there is some things that black people go through that whether people ignored it before or didn't really think it was real until everything was on pause with the whole COVID thing. And you really got a chance to see it like, oh, crap. There's some people that are still, you know, denying it, but you can't deny it. Some people when they're driving down the road and the cop pull them over, they're nervous. I'm like, it wasn't designed to be like that. You know, these are people that are supposed to protect us and keep us safe. Now, some of my best friends are cops. My cousin are police officer. If I was still living in Delaware, I'd have been a police officer. You kind of got the good cops that have to put up with the negative shadow that's been cast around them. But at the same time, it's crazy that people legit feel that way. Like, even me, like, I'm not going to lie, a couple weeks ago, I got pulled over and I was legit nervous for a little bit. And I asked my band, I said, uh, my band are all white guys. I said, you ever get nervous when you get pulled over by the cops? I said, no. 
and like my baseball and it's crazy that I never feel nervous and it's crazy that there's times where you do feel nervous and I'm slowly starting to see it and I, I, I tell people how you make an immediate change on how things are handled is vote locally with your, your mayor and your governor because uh, if I'm not mistaken in most places the mayor elects the police chief so you have a, a mayor that's for equality and treating people fairly He's going to elect a police chief that does the same. So if anybody does step out of line and does something crazy, they're not going to tolerate it. And I feel like two things will happen when you have a police chief that don't put up with the BS. People's hearts will change or people will hide it. Either way, it won't happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that's kind of how, how I look at it. And I, I don't really see it changing today or tomorrow or next year or the year after that. It's going to take time. But I honestly believe by the time my son gets my age, it'll be a lot better. Do you think that country music is becoming more welcoming to black artists and black fans? I do for sure. And it's cool because it's pretty much how it started. You look back to where country music came from with blues and, and D4 Bailey in the 20s purposely playing blues-sounding harmonica riffs to introduce this new genre of country music. The country music fans, for the most part, people who live to country music, have been ready for it. Because if that wasn't the case, you wouldn't have Charlie Price selling out shows in the 60s. You wouldn't have Darius selling out shows. You wouldn't have me selling out shows. You know, you wouldn't have Mickey Guyton right now. And so it's like the fans are ready for it. It's a lot of times it's the people, whether they be in radio or, or at record labels, that are still kind of... Uh, and I tell people, if you don't evolve with the world, you'll get left behind. With social media now and everything, you've seen artists of all genres create this huge fan base and sell out arenas without a record label, without radio play. I had a friend at radio tell me, he said, I had to wake up to the fact of, do I want to have a job five years from now or not? If you're so out of touch with what the rest of the world is doing and what they want, they'll turn your radio station off and turn on Spotify where they can hear what they want to hear. Then it's a lot more power now in the artist's hands, uh, which I think it should be uh, because um, I even had somebody from a label tell me this a couple weeks ago. They were like, I think it's weird that the artists, we make our money from the artists creating music. So why are we the ones that say what the artist should record or when they should put it out? When if all the artists said, we're not making no more music, they don't have a job. And when he told me that, I was like, hmm, you got a point. He said, Jimmy, say every country artist right now say, we're not making music for three years. He said, what would we do? He said, because think about it. Y'all can still go play shows. He said the artists can still go play shows, can still go do interviews. But if y'all don't put out no new music, what? <laughs> right. I was like, so I think the thing is, man, you know, you have people slowly starting to wake up to the fact that music is made by everyone. It's not weird when you see white guys doing hip hop or R&B. So it shouldn't be weird when you see black people doing country music. You know, I, and I've, I've kind of gone through that where it's like, if I'm black, I have to prove how country I am. Well, you could take a white dude from New York City, put a cowboy hat on him, let him move to Nashville. Nobody will question it. Nobody won't say nothing. But you take a black guy, and you, if you don't even got to put a cowboy hat on him, put some boots on him, or, or just say he wants to do country music. Well, why do you want to do What makes you want to do country music? I've never heard an interviewer ask a white country artist, what got you into country music? No. They don't, they don't ask that question. They ask you, what made you want to be a singer? What got you into music? They don't specify what got you into country music because the stereotype is country music is for white people. 
That's why I think representation is so important, you know? When people can turn on the TV and see someone that looks like them doing what they want, they no longer feel like they have to hide what they want to do. You know, it, it becomes normal to where it gets to the point one day where you don't have to say Jimmy Allen was the first black country artist to have a debut number one single. It's not a thing anymore. It's just, cool, Jimmy got a number one. What's next? Because you don't hear them say Riley Green was the 2021st white guy to get a debut number one. And nobody says that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like no, no, Nobody says it. And if I was white, I'd be, I'd be mad. I'd be jealous. Why do I get all that attention? I'm doing all the same things. But since he's black, you know, he's the first to do this. And I'd be mad as hell if I was white. <laughs> what about me? <laughs> so, Jimmy, you mentioned Charlie Pride as a inspiration and i think he's become a friend is that right yes what has he meant to you as an artist a lot in the time where people were still publicly hanging hosing black people in the streets he's putting on concerts being called tons of crazy names and keeping his cool and still putting on the show he showed then that people didn't really care what you look like because if that was the case, you wouldn't have thousands of white people going to see this black dude on stage and paying money to see him. It's super inspiring. And growing up, even though he was he was one guy, it was like, man, if he could do it in the 60s, why can't I do it now? Yeah. And, and Darius Rucker has become a friend of yours as well, right? Yeah, I love Darius, man. He's a cool dude. And seeing him... Killed two genres that were considered predominantly white. The rock game, Hootie and Blowfish was one of the biggest rock bands of all time. And now he's considered one of the, uh, the, the biggest country artists, too. He did it twice. You know, I'm waiting to see him put out a folk album. He needs to do that next. <laughs> he was on this podcast and he mentioned to you as someone he was a big fan of. I love Darius, man. He's, uh, he's a good dude, man. Uh, hard worker. Um, he's inspired me a lot, you know, and I got a chance to do that song with him and Charlie. That was crazy to me. It's amazing. So I want to ask you about your new album called Betty James. And you collaborated with some of the biggest names in country music. I mean, Brad Paisley, who you talked about before, Darius, Tim McGraw. What was it like performing with all these people? It was cool getting a chance to, you know, hang out with them. And then, you know, when I asked them to do the songs with me, they were all in. You know, and as an artist, that's one of the biggest compliments ever when someone you look up to as an artist or appreciates what you do enough to do a song with you. Because I'm sure they get asked all the time to do songs with people, and they're probably like, mm, I'm good, I'm good. Because they don't need the money, they're good. So the fact that they would do it uh, with me, it meant a lot. You know, and I got to have some of my dad's favorite artists on there, mine, as well as my grandmother's. Well, it's such a fun album, and uh, there's, a, there's a song on there called When This Is Over, and it starts with a line uh, that says, when this is over, I hope I take a little less for granted, hope I'm a little more understanding. Do you feel like the experience of the last few months has changed you in some ways? Uh, definitely. It's kind of changed me to the realization that there's a lot of people that honestly want to do better. You know what I mean? That um, if given the opportunity, they'll, and they see that they need to change, they will. For me, it's uh, definitely made me not want to take moments for granted, you know, because you never know when that's it. 
it's made me really pay attention to how you treat people and you know, what you say to people. And um, I feel like if you've gone through this and you haven't changed at all, I don't know what to tell you. Your heart might be broke. <laughs> might need some fixing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the truth. Well, I got to ask you about fishing real quick, Jimmy. I've seen a lot of fishing pictures on your Instagram. I'm a fisherman myself. What does fishing do for you? It's, it almost seems like you love to fish as much as you love country music. <laughs> I do, man. It's, uh, might like fishing more. <laughs> it's relaxing. You know, I get to think and, and plan. Just relax, you know, something hopefully I can get my kids into. I remember it's so funny. I posted a, a picture of me with this drum fish I caught and I used the caption. I love fishing where I come to think and, and just playing. There's a lady comments. So you think and escape from all the killings happening right now by killing fish. I was like, I said nothing about escaping from the killings. What are we talking about here? <laughs> like what? Like I normally don't, but I'm that guy on social media. I respond to people because people have this idea to where they can say whatever they want to an artist, but the artist can't say nothing back. That's when I. That's when I'm act. That's when I act like a hip hop artist. No, I'm coming back. I'm. We're gonna have this conversation. If you want to have this conversation on a public forum, we're gonna have it. <laughs> like I said, nothing about escaping from killings to go kill. And I was like, "Don't you, you don't eat fish?" She's like, "I do eat fish. You eat them while they're alive." Do they stay alive through your digestive system? <laughs> you, let let me know. I, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't know you ate whole cows while they were still moving, and I didn't know they go through your stomach moving all in one piece. Let me know. <laughs> You're like, don't mess with my fishing. No, no, don't touch that. Well, Jimmy Allen, thank you so much for being on Biscuits and Jam. All right, man. Thank you. Now you got me wanting some biscuits and jam. Where's the biscuits and the jam? Send them to me. we can hook you up my man thanks for listening to my conversation with jimmy allen his latest ep betty james is available wherever you get music southern living is based in birmingham alabama and this podcast was produced and edited in nashville tennessee if you like what you hear please consider leaving us a review on apple podcasts or telling your friends about the program you can find us online at southernliving.com And subscribe to our print publication by searching for Southern Living at www.magazine.store. Biscuits and Jam is produced by Heather Morgan Schott, Chrissy Tiglius, and me, Sid Evans, for Southern Living. Thanks also to Ann Kane, Jim Hankey, Eliza Lambert, and Rachel King at Pod People. Come on back next week for more Biscuits and Jam. Biscuits and Jam.